Wow, what a delight to be a part of a church where the singing is not just buffer time. Amen? Mm, so good to have you here. So good to have you participating together as we worship the Lord. And uh, wow, thanks Nick and the team. Well, today we begin a new series through the book of Galatians, through the letter of Galatians, and just two words, set free, amen. set free. Oh, amen. Um, this letter of Galatians has a lot of depth to it. I mean, they all do, but I want to tell you, sometimes as a first read through Galatians, you, you read through and you go, my goodness, there's some complexity to this. There's some uh, issues related to Old Testament history, to the law, to the promise, to spiritual being spiritual heirs, to faith and works, to apostleship. I mean, there's just a number of historical things that are especially important in relation to the letter to the region of Galatia. And uh, Paul added on top of that, Paul is writing with some real heat. Uh, of all of the epistles, I think this is the one where Paul is the most ticked off. And uh, it's interesting. So to get a grasp of what this complex letter is about, we need to understand its context. So today is an introduction and that predominant theme, I think, that just underlies uh, the, the, the whole writing of this letter is this battle for the gospel, the battle for the good news. Uh, it's as if, will the real gospel please stand up? When I was a little boy, one of my very favorite shows as a boy, lasted 25 years, by the way, was to tell the truth. In a family, we would watch it when I was young and how it would work is they'd bring out three individuals, and these three individuals would be there, and each of it would be a person that was somehow famous for something, not visibly, but they were an inventor or maybe an athlete or someone who achieved something that was not very facially recognized. And so these three individuals would all come out, and each of them would say, I am the real John Doe. And then the second person would say, no, I am the real John Doe. And the third person is, no, I am actually the real John Doe. And then the, they would sit down and the judges would begin asking them some questions, trying to understand who was the real John Doe, who was the real skydiver, or the, the mountaineer, or the inventor of the hula hoop, or whatever it might be. And they would be asking them questions, and you would sit there, oh, I think it's number two, number three, number one. And then at the end, the host would finally say, will the real John Doe please stand up? And they would do the head bob. Remember that? You know, one would be like, yeah, I am, nope, and then two, and they'd be doing this up, down, up, down. and then the real John Doe would stand up and clap, 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 everybody and everybody at home, like our family, oh, I thought it was number two, and it was number three, and all this kind of stuff, and it was like, oh, it was great, and the show was done. Well, listen, the churches in the region of Galatia were confused with what was the real gospel. Who was the one teaching the real gospel? Will the real gospel please stand up? 
And Paul seeks to help them understand very clearly what the gospel is. And I just want to say, friends, it's so interesting. Times have not changed. Times have not changed. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, as 21st century people, one of the challenges when we dig into a text in a first century situation is our understanding the context of it. Because we generally have this tendency just to jump in thinking they had computers and they had game shows like to tell the truth. And they had some of the same cultural issues that we have, uh, but it was a very different time. It was a different culture. But the same issues that we deal with today. So today is not your normal sermon. Uh, this is a, a kind of a setting a frame of reference day. Uh, here's my goal for today. Uh, I want to take you on a run through the Bible. Do you see your sermon notes? Do you look at that and go, he won. Are you really going through this? And two, if you are, you are insane. And the answer to that is yes and yes. And, uh, but I'm going to take you on a run through the Bible to see a pattern. Okay, you're going to get through the end of today and kind of, you could go kind of like, is that it? And it's like, but this is so important, I think, for the coming weeks. In these coming months. Today's laying a groundwork to understand what's happening here as we start digging into the text in Galatians. So I'm going to run us through to see this pattern. It's a pattern of God's truth being declared and then God's truth being battled. God's truth declared and God's truth battled. And uh, this is, I think, going to set us for this run up into Galatians. So here's where we're going. We're going to be hearing some spectacular truth declarations today, some pretty amazing ones. And we're going to hear some serious fighting words today. If you think Jesus is kind of this calm, quiet, feminized man, um, we're going to Matthew 23. We're getting that set straight. And we're going to see how we tend ourselves as time moves along, how we tend to manhandle God's word and make it Christ plus. So let's get oriented to Galatians, Garden of Eden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're starting with the Old Testament and a truth battle. Genesis chapter 2, and we have truth being laid out here for Adam. Let's jump in verse 15. Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam, don't eat it. For if you do, in that day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Why did God put that parameter on it? Here's why. Because God is God. And God can do what He wants. This wasn't a game. He wasn't setting them up. He wasn't dooming them to failure. God was being God. And, but God was setting out the truth declaration here. Adam, listen, all this is there. Just the one thing. Just the one thing. Just don't go there, dude. I'm telling you. Choose to sin. Choose to suffer. Don't go there. Well, when truth is declared, a battle generally ensues 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hey, Eve, Eve, think about this. Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The battle begins. Listen, the battle for truth begins right there. Truth had already been declared to Adam, obviously passed on to Eve. The truth has been declared and the battle begins. Let's jump to Exodus chapter 19. We're just seeing these various times where truth is declared and truth is battled. We're going to see another declaration of truth. Exodus 19. We're at Sinai, at the foot of Mount Sinai. The context is the Hebrews have been delivered out of Egypt. God has a special truth to deliver. Exodus 19, starting in verse 1. And on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Moses, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, Moses, if you all will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. That's cool, isn't it? You'll be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Why be a treasured possession? Verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God in his sovereignty selected Israel to be this nation of holy priests that's to be a nation to all nations, a nation set apart unto the Lord unlike any other nation. So what does God do? Listen, when God chooses people to be a special purpose for him, God also helps to set up parameters on what it looks like to be set apart. And so then you follow in chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, and the laws just continue on. We call it the laws, but I would really almost prefer to call this a life design, because that's what it is. We think of the laws, oh, the laws. You know, God calls us, and then he puts us in a cage, and then we can't do nothing, and life stinks, and life's boring, and Christians, they're just people who are like totally disconnected. Come on. Remember last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and you were dead? And then verse 4, but God, but God raised you, seated you, redeemed you, and then he says, get after living for me. Now there's a bummer. <laughs> hey, listen, the law, oftentimes we look at it and we go, that's the part where God puts the bar cells around Israel. No, no, no. This was a time to where when people come into a new relationship with the Lord, the Lord sets what the life design is to be like. And he does, he lists out all these things in the law, in the Mosaic law, a life design for them. Listen, that was unlike anything of the day. The government, 
the caring for the poor. All of these things were things unlike anything on the face of the planet at that time. God was setting aside a people to be his people that stand out and stand out with truth and stand out with awesomeness. By the way, if you know Christ as your Savior, God has called you to live differently. Bummer. No. Karen and I were in the car yesterday going up to Fort Wayne for a wedding. Uh, Emily Mitchell and Dan Prokoff, who attended here, uh, got married, and they're now up in Fort Wayne. And it was a delightful day, but we were driving. One of the things we were talking about in the car, we are just kind of reflecting on, you know, what is it that causes people to do what they do? And I just want to tell you, I, I've come to the conclusion because we want to look cool before other people. And it just came up because we were watching people and the way they were just carrying themselves and the various kinds of things. Why do people do the things they do? Because we yearn to have other people go, you are so cool. And I just want to tell you, guys, we have such a tendency to do that as well. And I just look at guys sometimes and I go, we are the dorkiest creatures on the face of the earth. Pants on the ground. That wasn't in the notes. We, <laughs> um, God gave a call to the people of Israel. We jump to Judges 17. Hang a right, a few books over, Judges. If you don't know where it is, just fan over. It's about a quarter inch over to the right in your Bible. Judges chapter 17. God made a call and gave a truth call for his people. And that, look what happens, Judges 17. This is a summary. This is sometime later. They're in the promised land. And here's a great summary. Chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Look at this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What did everyone do? Think about that for a minute. What is that doing? That is a battle with truth right there. The people of Israel had been redeemed out of slavery, chosen by God to be a people, set up parameters. Listen, I want for you to be this kind of way. This brings me great glory. And then what do they do? Time as time passes on. All of a sudden we see, no, 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 no. Hey, God, fine. Good for you, whatever. I'll take that into consideration. But I want to do what's right in my eyes. Who is the one who is the declarer of truth now? Myself. I have now put myself in the position where I am God and I am setting truth. You know, the Bible's good except for certain parts of it. Uh, Is that right? I have now set myself in the place of setting what truth is and what it is not. I have put myself on the seat on the throne and kicked God off. I want to tell you, this is Galatians. Well, we move from the Old Testament and the truth battle to the New Testament, or I'm sorry, for, yeah, to the New Testament, Jesus and the truth battle. Turn to Matthew 23, and let's read some heat. Matthew 23, the context of this. Uh, God's uh, Mosaic law has become this gigantic man-made system of do's and don'ts. 
Do you know that our Constitution is about little under, I believe, 8,000 words? Our Constitution for an entire nation is 8,000 words. Today, hundreds of years later, we now have like 8,000 laws, each of which contains, like the introduction contains like 8,000 words. That's what happened with Israel. And I want for you to understand, if, if, if you think the Mosaic law is what's laid out or what's depicted by the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests in Israel in the New Testament, that's not at all what the Mosaic law was. I just don't have time to go into it. But they had taken, if you will, 600 promises or, or calls and made them out into this massive list of ridiculousness. But Jesus is at this point where he's addressing them because God's good news has been turned into false news. And Jesus has something to say about it. Um, this is after the triumphal entry, after the cleansing of the temple. He's getting some people ticked off. They've challenged his authority. He's been battling with them. And he speaks to the crowd, chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and Pharisees, you get this, uh, understand, the scribes and Pharisees are there. They are in the room. But it's like if they were over here in the room, in this corner, and then he's been talking with them for a while, and then he turns around and says, I have something to say. And they are right there, fully hearing what's going on and listening. We're going to almost read the whole chapter. It's just too good. And it's too good in setting a tone for what Paul does in Galatians. Verse 2, Jesus says, Crowd, disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. (laughs) For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to beat, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor as feasts and beat seats and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called a rabbi. For you have one teacher. Let's jump down to verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He's not speaking to them. They're overhearing. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What's the next word? Hypocrites. I don't like hypocrites. Hey, neither does the second person of the Trinity. Uh, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his his oath. You blind fools. Let's jump to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guide straining on a gnat and swallowing the whole camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you will also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, Oh, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, oh my, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Oh no, not us. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. Is Jesus upset? Hey, listen, I just add to this. We so often today have this vision from uh, movies, and many movies are really, really good, but sometimes we have this view that Jesus Christ is this British um, kind of uh, feminine Buddhist guy. Wow. He's bringing some heat. Why? Because truth was being changed. Well, let's keep on going. What's the next passage? Let's go there. Matthew 26, verses 1 through 5. Do you think this made the scribes and the Pharisees uh, calm down? Because not only did Christ bring the heat, but they were just like, game on. Matthew 26, the battle with the chief priests and the elders. Listen to it. 26, verse 1, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. It says, shortly before the crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. They're in the palace of the high <coughs> priest. And listen, what's going on? Verse 6, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth. Love that word in the English Standard Version. We just get that stealth, the black fighter jet. Nobody knows, nobody knows. Boom. Okay, something like that. And that's what they're trying to do. They're just coming in quiet, trying to take him out. And plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to do what? And kill him. Wasn't it Matthew 23? We wouldn't kill the prophet. Verse 5, but they said, uh, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. 
oh yeah, we live for the people and what they think. Matthew 26, end, verse 57. Verse 57. This is the battle against the truth. Verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus, they led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. The high priest, the scribes, the elders are together. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council, this is like the Supreme Court, were seeking false testimony against Jesus. Yeah, there's some righteousness living going on there. Why? So that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. (laughs) Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the equal one of God. Tell us if you are God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. And they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him. Listen, it's the battle over the truth. The crucifixion then takes place. The resurrection then takes place. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Matthew 28, battle again with the chief priests. Look looks what's going on. This is after the resurrection. Uh-oh, they're in trouble. Verse 13, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place, i.e., he rose from the dead. Oops, plan gone awry. And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. <laughs> Bribing going on. And said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Lie. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews this day. Listen, there is a battle for the gospel. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The gospel has been there in their presence. And the battle over the gospel has been had. Acts chapter 1. There is now another truth call. At the ascension. Let's start in verse 3. To them he was presented alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let's jump down to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you tell us at the time to restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is all in the truth statement, and you will be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Christ gives a call for his disciples now. We started with Adam and Eve. We went to the people of Israel. We see the gospel, Jesus Christ in the flesh. All are being battled. Now Christ gives a call to the disciples. 
I wonder what's going to happen. Well, actually, it looks really good. Go to uh, Acts chapter 2, real quick, verse 22. Look what takes place. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching. Um, And Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him in the midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death uh, because of because it was not possible for him who held by it. Listen, he's preaching the gospel. Way to go, guys. They're doing it. Add to that this, uh, verse 41 in chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized. They were added to his number. How many? Oh, man, it's working. Look at verse 47. Uh, And the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those were being saved. Finally, are we over the battle yet? And when we go chapter 5, verse 14, just keep hanging with me here. 5.14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. Yeah, we are past the battle. Look at chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Yeah! It's working! It's finally got to where the battle has ceased, not... Because we get some insight here, we're moving to Galatians. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. This is Stephen. Stephen has just told about giving before the leadership. Stephen's just pronounced the gospel of Jesus Christ and what's all taken place. I love that. And they ground their teeth at him. Can't you just hear him? But he, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named who? Listen, we're coming to Galatians. And they laid their garments at the feet of Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Amazing. And when they had heard this, I love this, he fell asleep. Dead. No, fell asleep. Dead is not done. Dead is just transfer. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Listen, Saul was right in the battle for the gospel. Saul was all about it. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and men great made great lamentation over. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering the house after house, and he dragged men and women off. That was Saul. Go to Acts chapter 9, because God's got a little bit different plan. Saul, now sum up here for time, in chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus. He's gotten approval by the high priest to go and take people into custody. Jump down to verse uh, 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I bet he was freaking right there. <laughs> I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. So he does. He goes into the city. Jump down to verse 15. Uh, the Lord is talking to Ananias, a follower of Christ. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he will suffer. Listen, God miraculously, radically redeemed Paul. Paul was not on a journey to learn about Jesus. Paul was on a journey to take out people who wanted to learn about Jesus. And God grabbed a hold of him, redeemed him. I call this, this is the truth call at exit 915, chapter 9, verse 15. This is the point where God grabbed a hold of this man's life and said, got a different plan for you, a truth calling plan. And let's go to Galatians, Acts chapter 14. We're going to Galatia. Acts chapter 14. We are entering Galatia. It's a region. Acts 14. I think this is where there's discussion about, is it North Galatia, South Galatia? I think it's on his first missionary trip. But just take a look here. I think this is the point in time. Now at Iconium, which is in southern Galatia, at Iconium, they entered together in the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed the truth is being declared. But the unbelievers, the unbelieving Jews, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, i.e. southern Galatia. And there they continued to preach. Listen, just for time, there's a truth battle taking place in Iconium. There's a truth battle that takes place a little bit later in the chapter in Lystra. Later in the chapter, it says that in Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Antioch in that area, which is modern-day Turkey, there's a battle for the gospel going on. And Paul's right in it. So here's the deal. We trace the truth call, the truth battle from Eden to Sinai and the Promised Land, to Jesus and the spiritual political leaders, to the disciples and Stephen stoning, to Saul and Exit 9.15, and to the churches in Galatia. Now turn to Galatians. And hang in there, we're almost done. Galatians chapter 1. These first five verses, we're just going to take a couple minutes. And I hope in light of what we've just covered, it begins to show the importance of what's happening in this letter. And Paul doesn't open with this typical, I love you. I'm so proud of you. The Lord's been working. Go to 1 Thessalonians, you'll see an extended statement about that. That's actually Paul's normal format. 
But uh, Paul in this one, he basically says, hey, this letter's from me. This letter's to you. Uh, this is the gospel in a sentence. Bam, let's get at it. Next week, we start the bam. But let's just start the opening. Paul, an apostle. Can you believe that statement? Saul, who became Paul, was once a hater of Jesus Christ. Saul was a hater of Christ, and he was a hater of anyone that loved Christ. And God, in his amazing, unmerited grace, just plucked this guy out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and brought the defibrillator, boom, and brought him to life before him. And he became Paul. Paul, that guy, he's an apostle. I just got to tell you, I think every time Paul started a letter and he starts with those statements, he just sits back and goes, can you get a load of that? <laughs> oh, Paul, an apostle. And look at it. Here he goes. Here's the, and can you get a load of that? Not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ. I'd say, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I love this, verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me. Listen, Paul is not this rogue, uh, roving, carny, religious uh, teacher freak. Paul has people with him. There is power in numbers. There's confidence in others. He is an apostle, not by men. He's not a loner. He's not a supposed apostle. He is, and there's others who prove it. And I just have to say this. He is the perfect guy to be addressing the situation in Galatia. You remember? Uh, in fact, I don't think I covered the part. They stoned him in this region. There was division going on. There was all this fussing going on over what is the real gospel. The Judaizers were hating the gospel of Jesus Christ. All this fussing is going on. And Paul, if you will, is the perfect guy to address the situation. Why? Because he knew exactly how they thought. He was one. He was one who knew how the Old Testament worked. Go to Philippians chapter 3 sometime this week and read through Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, hey, listen, you want to do the debate thing? I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul says, listen, I totally know where you're at. I totally know how you're thinking. I get it. And he's the one who's perfect to address this. And he's perfect to argue the legalism, traditionalism, badum that's going on. Uh, basically, Paul starts out, hey, this letter's from me. Remember me? Yep, I remember you. And then he says, I've got this letter is written to you. Notice the end of verse 2, to the churches in Galatia. Uh, the churches, it's plural. It's more than one. Galatia is not a city. It's a region. I believe it's in the southern region. And this plurality of churches, um, he is writing to. I've got a letter from me and I've got a letter from you. And as we wrap it up, look at this. Here's the gospel wrapped up in a sentence. Grace to you. Hey, listen. The source of one's salvation is grace. It's all about grace. Unmerited favor extended to my sin condition. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. Peace. The practical result of salvation. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins 
to deliver us from the present evil age. Hey, listen, they're still in the evil age, but ultimately they're out of the evil age. They've been redeemed. They've been seated according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. From the Father, by the atoning, rescuing work of the Son, which we sang about earlier, through the convicting, bringing, and dwelling by the Spirit, and the gospel delivers, not the law. By the way, next week, verse 6, here's the bam. From me to you, the gospel. Guys, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Ah, Times have not changed. And we're going to start there next week. Lord, thank you for the time together. Father, this has kind of been an interesting journey this morning through the Bible. There is a pattern. There is a pattern in redemptive history that truth is declared and truth is battled. Father one, I thank you that truth is declared. The reality is, is you didn't have to do anything about our sin condition. But as we talked about last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, great in love. Oh Lord, thank you that you have, even in our sin condition, you've communicated truth. That's been the case since the very beginning. It's been your mercy. And yet, Lord, from the very beginning, there's been a battle for that truth. We're about to enter a letter where these people in these churches in this region are battling the gospel truth. What is it? Is it Christ plus? Is it faith and works? Lord, I pray in these coming weeks and these coming months as we dig into this letter that, Father, our hearts would be challenged that we would really understand grace and being set free, that we would really understand who we are in you. Because, Lord, the fact of the matter is, we wrestle to earn your favor. And I pray this letter would help us as a church to stay on truth and not truth plus it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.